0: here with Arzu. Arzu, thank you so much for agreeing to do this podcast. Thanks for coming in today.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
0: So maybe um, to start off the podcast, you can talk a little bit about yourself and, you know, going to school at Bryn Mawr, you're a senior now, what the year's been like a little bit and just kind of give the listeners, the few listeners that we have on the podcast, uh, just a background on, on yourself.
1: Yeah, so senior year has been going really well so far. Um, I really enjoyed it because, like, I've tried new things before. Like, I went to the first in-person Model Congress conference, um, which was super fun. I really enjoyed that. And, yeah, um, I came to Bryn Mawr when I was in ninth grade. This is my fourth year here. And I've really enjoyed my all four years here because I've had, like, I've tried so many new things. While I've been more, like, for example, like I mentioned Model Congress, I was never into debate before, but now I'm, like, into debate, all that stuff. So it's been really cool trying new things out, like public speaking, debate, um, and, yeah, and also just, like like, a lot of research. I've done a lot of research so far.
0: Yeah, I was very impressed when I saw the Hopkins presentation that you sent me when you, you were a freshman. You were a freshman when you did that. So we'll talk about that a little bit, but... Is Model Congress, is that Model UN? Is it the same thing?
1: It's kind of similar. I think Model UN is more like UN, the United Nations, but Model Congress kind of simulates like the Congress and like legislation process in America. So we have like two houses, the House of Representatives and then also the Senate. And like there's different committees like a real Congress or Senate would have. So like I was in the House of um, International Relations this year and last year is on appropriations. And then we kind of just write bills and go into the conference, present those bills and like kind of debate other people's bills.
0: Cool, so um, you told me that you've written a couple of bills for this program. Can you talk a little bit about those bills that you wrote?
1: Yeah, so this year, uh, since I was in International Relations, I chose to write a bill that kind of um, has the idea of creating community clinics in the 10 countries with the highest maternal mortality rates. So there's like, um, like regionally, it was um, kind of Africa, there's a lot of countries in Africa and also Afghanistan. And I kind of chose to implement um, community clinics in that area. And then I kind of wrote about like where to get the funding, obviously, and also what services the community clinics would provide. Um, like education, mental health services, just to name a few. Mm-hmm. And then like last year, I wrote one about implementing community clinics in the US because I had appropriations last year. So that's, I kind of talked about in the bill, um, implementing community clinics where they're area with a high representation of underrepresented um, communities minorities um, and kind of providing services for them.
0: Awesome. So when I first met you, you came into my great short fiction senior elective, and you said that you have been interested and passionate about this um, child and maternal health and and that study. And, um, you know, I know that you want to eventually go to medical school in the future, but this interest, I think it's it's something that, you know, drew me to you and, and wanted that drove me to want to get you on the podcast to talk a little bit more about it because it's such an important global issue that you've done a ton of research on. Um, maybe we could start talking about where that interest first began and and really how it's developed in these four years at Bryn Mawr.
1: Yeah, so um, like you mentioned, I was in ninth grade when I first started it. And I think I started it because um, When I was part of the Hopkins conference, and I really wanted to be a keynote speaker in something, and then at the same time I was in the conference, a maternity ward was um, attacked in Kabul, Afghanistan, and that killed, like, a lot of mothers, newborn children who were just, like, minutes old, and I think that really had an effect on me, um, because I am Afghan, and my parents came from there. So I feel like because of that, like, the connection I had to that country, and also just, like, the brutality of the attack kind of convinced me to go talk um like research more into maternal and child health and that's where kind of like build up and then like also the maternity ward that was shot up was um part of a it was in a community with a lot with a minority ethnic group which my family is also part of the hazaras mm-hmm. um so that kind of also pushed me further because like in afghanistan like throughout the years um the taliban has like worked to like um they commit, like, a lot of genocidal attacks towards the Hazara to, like, kind of get rid of them from the country. So I think that's—which is why my family had to leave a long time ago. So I think that reason, like, the specific ethnicity, the also the fact that they targeted women and children um, specifically mm-hmm. kind of pushed me to, like, research this project.
0: So um, when—can I ask, when your family came over to the United States from Afghanistan? Yeah,
1: they came in 2000.
0: 2000, yeah. okay. So I want to talk about the Hazara group a little bit, but— First, maybe um, just returning to your interest in child maternal health, for people who don't really know what that is, can you talk a little bit about what what that is in general?
1: Yeah, so child and maternal health kind of has two sectors. First, the health of the mothers, and that kind of like covers the health of mothers during the pregnancy period, during birth, and also the postpartum period. And then the child health aspect kind of covers like, the mental and physical well-being of the child from the time they are born to around five years old. And that kind of, what I didn't know previously before starting this research project, and I don't know if a lot of people know about this now, is that maternal and child health isn't just, you know, health. Like, it isn't just, like, the physical well-being of mothers and children, but there's also so many other determinants that contributes to their health. Like, for example, education is a huge determinant, and also, like, also, like, the financial... Um, situation of families, the location, because a lot of the times in developing countries, um, it's harder for women and children to have good access to health care. So there's so much, like, determinants to, like, how uh, health of a mother and child are affected. And I think that's, like, what really drew me in as well.
0: Okay, so when you say education, I think that's a major part because education, especially in Afghanistan, yeah. is, um, you know, especially if you're women in Afghanistan, it's it's— It's not even existent right now. So um, can you talk maybe a little bit more about like education and how that's a huge determinant for a lot of these child maternal health issues going on?
1: Yeah. So um, recently I was reading a book for my um, research project this year, and it said that human rights and um, had a huge human rights violation, had a huge impact on and had a lot of health consequences for women. So and I consider education a human right for a lot for women as well. So I feel like having the restriction will also like limit like the possibilities women have. Like, for example, in Afghanistan, um, one huge part of education is like midwife training. Mm-hmm. Um, because like there, a lot of the birth is like at home, because like sometimes hospitals aren't available. And right now, they're being shut down actively, so that's a huge part of the training. And I think around 2002, 2003, education from there's about like 300 midwives in the country. But um, while like the U.S. and other organizations were in Afghanistan during the 20-year period, they really strengthened midwife education, and they rose the numbers to about three or four thousand in 2017. And um, like at the same time, um, that correlated to decreased maternal mortality, and I think it decreased about like fifty percent from two thousand two to twenty seventeen. So there's like a direct correlation between like improving education, um, like reproduct- about reproductive health, um, and decreasing mortal- maternal mortality. And then on the other hand, there's also like education about like higher education, like women going to school. And um, while like, there was like less Taliban involvement like during the twenty year period um there was women had opportunities to go to school so at the same time like one thing i think is if women going to school is a huge thing because first of all literacy rates increase but like also then they know what they have what they have rights to and if you know what you are owed in terms of rights then you can fight for it you can advocate for it Mm -hmm. but currently when they have like less education like um given to them right now schools are shut or at least colleges, are, like, prohibited for women to go to. So it's very hard for them to, like, continue um, to, like, empower themselves through education, learn, like, what they have to fight for, what they should advocate for. And, like, at the same time, like, if they aren't going to college, then it's very hard for them. Like, a lot of women in Afghanistan during a 20-year period, like, after 2001 when the U.S. intervened, um, like... a lot of women became active in politics because they went to school and they were able to get the education they needed to get up on the public policy level. So they were able to advocate for themselves in the government. But now with the Taliban there, first shutting down schools for women in terms of colleges, but also just like limiting women in general from the social sphere kind of means that they don't have access, they can't go into the political um, participation world and kind of like advocate for themselves in that manner too.
0: Mm So the project that you're doing, the Edith Hamilton project, yes. right? So you're looking at a, a bunch of different developing countries, India specifically, right?
1: For my Edith, I'm looking specifically in Afghanistan. Okay. And then last year for my capstone, I did look into India.
0: Further. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, so so what, what has been ma- the major differences? I, I know that India... Um, decreased its mortality or maternal mortality rate by 77% yeah. or something in 2016, and that, that was a huge number that right, jumped yeah. out to me. Um, but I'd love to know a little bit about the difference between this capstone project that you did during your junior year and the research you're doing now about Afghanistan.
1: Yeah, so my capstone project last year, I felt like that one was more, like, in general about maternal, because I, I wanted to, like, kind of go into, like, what worked and what didn't work, um, and kind of, like, apply that like to, like, other developing countries and also, like, the U.S., because I kind of went a little bit into U.S. as well, because it has increased over the past few years, which I don't think a lot of people know, um, but... Yeah, I looked into India and, like, what, like, implementations they put in place. Like, the government and private sector, public and private sectors are working really well together. Um, like, for example, the government is funding a lot of, like, transportation to the hospital and also, like, the fees like, um, that the hospital incurs when you go to give birth to your child. And also they're increasing, like, a lot of NGOs, like, non-governmental organizations and other private organizations um, go into India and kind of, like, work on the rural um, places. Um, which have less access to healthcare and just like decrease um, education opportunities. Like for example, the Maternal Child Health India, which is a Hopkins organization led by Dr. Shet. She goes into like rural areas um, and she like goes to gives like education opportunities. Like for example, teaching English, financial literacy, which is huge, and I think like, all work towards empowering women. Um, and then also from like the empowered women, and then combination is like the support from the government, I think that's what's really helped India decrease it by like 77% through these years. And then this year, the difference is I chose to kind of focus in Afghanistan because I have one year and I'm working with the mentors. So like I have a lot more like time to kind of really deep, um, like go into it deeper. And I think I chose Afghanistan specifically because um, when I was writing my application for it, like that's when you could, that was a few months after the Taliban initially took control, and that's when you could, like, finally see, like, them limiting women and what ha, what it has done and what how it affected them. So I think that's why I chose specifically to go into Afghanistan um, and how and women's health there.
0: So who has been your mentor for this uh, Hamilton project that you're working with? I know you've interviewed a couple Afghan leaders. Yes. Um, um, the Code, uh, the coding, Code to Inspire. Yes, first of yes. I'd love to hear a little bit about your interviews that you've conducted and kind of what you've learned so far in this project that you're doing uh, with with Afghan um, maternal health
1: yeah, so that um the interview with Frishta Farooq, the CEO of Code to Inspire was one of my like very initial interviews, my first one. And that was such a huge uh, like opportunity because, like I found her like online just by doing my research. And I was like, oh, she's such an inspirational person. So I just reached out to her, and she was very um nice to respond and like be available. So what I learned there, which is really interesting, is, like, she mentioned how, like, increasing education for Afghan girls and women kind of changes the home economy as well because then it gives more, like, not only does it empower the woman itself, but it gives, like, their family, especially because Afghanistan is a very patriarchal society, so it gives, like, also, like, the father, like, more confidence in um, the daughter's abilities. So, for example, she says, if one girl goes out, Um, Gets an education, for example, she specifically works on coding um, because that's what she got her degree in and everything. So if they go out and get like an IT job, um, because if she goes out and gets an IT job and brings money for her family and then like the father will have more, um, I guess, more confidence in her and allow her to have more responsibility and also like more like exposure to the outside world, which is great for the woman um, and also like inspires like a whole community like, for example, if one person goes out, then other people, other families will also start to say, oh, this is a good thing, and, like, let their daughters go out as well, so I think that's what was really, um, like, good to know, and, like, very inspiring, but, yeah, I think it was just, like, her story in general, too, like, her coming, she, she lives in New York right now, but, like, her coming from Afghanistan, and then going to other countries for education, and, like, Giving back that education to Afghan girls at this time, I think, was really inspiring. And, like, she's someone I look up to now because, like, hopefully it's what I want to do in the future.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're working with a doctor from Johns Hopkins University now or was this last year?
1: I'm working with her um, in the right now and for my senior project. Um, yeah, I'll be working with and
0: her. And she's done a lot of work yes. in developing countries um, on this topic. And what has your work and her mentorship been like? Uh, this year and last year
1: yeah so one thing is she's very encouraging like um, she always like gives me opportunities to kind of speak what I think um, which is like I thought like given my age and like, I, like I'm only in high school maybe people won't take me seriously but like she really does and she always allows me to kind of like what I think based on what my research and what I can do for them which is really such a cool opportunity. And like, I just talked to her a few days ago and like for my senior project, I'll be like kind of like drafting or like making like a presentation or like a offering Zoom workshops to like young girl, high school girls in India around my age uh, and teaching them English. So I think, cause like they've expe- um, expressed interest in learning English. So I think like kind of like doing that and like kind of helping and like creating those workshops for them and like having the opportunity in the future to like speak to the um, girls in India face to face has been really cool.
0: So I th- I, from what I'm hearing from you, your main really focus on spreading the word and the information about this is, is trying to channel it into education of young women in these developing countries, Afghanistan and India a little bit, and really all over the world. I know you were talking a little bit about Africa too in your presentation that you shared with me. Um, but it seems like education is really the forefront focus for you. Yes,
1: that's true. I think because especially with given my family's relationship with education, like my mom obviously had a really hard time while she lived in Afghanistan getting education. So for me, it's always had a, like a higher level of importance in my life. So I think that kind of like translated into my academic interests as well. And I, I think because like, I, I see firsthand how education has affected my mom, my aunts living in other countries, how it's like gotten them out of Afghanistan and into like um, – into America and like working in like um very impressive jobs. So I think given that I can see it firsthand how it impacts people, how it empowers women, I think that's why like I wanted to like spend so much time on it because I truly know how education is very empowering for women.
0: And your mother has done a lot of work uh, in education and making documentaries and talking about the Hazara group. Afghanistan. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I watched a little bit of that documentary, and I think it's important for people to first know about the Hazara people Mm -hmm. in Afghanistan and, you know, know about some of these resources and just just learning more about the persecution of this group and really of of women in uh, Afghanistan.
1: Yeah, so my mom, she's actually one of my inspirations and, like, a huge part of the reason why I'm doing what I do now, but she, like, ever since she was 14 years old, she was a huge, she would go on the streets, like, protesting against the Taliban, um, like, restricted education of women, she would go to school secretly, because my grandpa didn't know, and, like, all, in like, that kind of, like, and, like, even, like, when she had to leave Afghanistan because of the Soviet war, she had to go to a refugee camp in Pakistan, but, like, even there, she still continued her education, and, like, when she came to America um, to study for college here, and after she, she got her d- degree in, I think political science, and I'm forgetting the second one, but she got two bachelor's degree, and um, she went back, and she uh, first she was a journalist, and she went back to Afghanistan. She was actually the first woman to actually go to all the massacre sites um, that the Taliban massacred Hazara people during the 90s um, and documented it. Um, So, yeah, I think in the Hazara people over since the Taliban was there in the beginning after the Soviet war in the nineties, when they first took power, they have always worked to kind of eradicate Hazaras from there. Cause we are a minority group because not only like ethnically, because Pashtuns are the majority, um, but not only are we ethnically the minority, but also religiously. Cause the Pashtuns are like Sunni and then um, Hazaras are Shia. So like on both ends is kind of like a dual reason why they do target Hazaras in genocidal attacks. And, um, and, like, I feel like not many people know about it because I feel like, yeah, not many people know about it, but, like, over time, it's, like, people have thought it would get better because when the U.S. was, uh, not U.S., like, when the 20-year period when Taliban wasn't in power, like, it was less known because, like, the, the attacks weren't as, like, you know, widespread or, like, on huge scale as they were in the 90s, but there were small attacks. Like, they would just place, like, bombs and cars in, like, Hazara villages and just, blow like, detonate them. i just, like they went to a mine, like I think two years ago they went to a mine and they just said, who are the Hazars and then just killed all the hussars who were there. And recently it's just gotten so much worse to the point where they're targeting those maternal, the maternity wards, the education centers, they're, they're um, targeting, for example, I think like just a few months ago they um, they put, a they blew up a school called College School and they killed like 80 girls, just like my age, teenagers. So I think like, over time, they just like always been attacked, especially the women. They've been like, not only are they here attacked because of like their ethnicity and their religion, but also in the fact that they're a woman. So like they're oppressed from like each angle.
0: And ever since, uh, you know, the United States has withdrew from Afghanistan, the Taliban has, you know, retaken total control and and the treatment of women has just, you know, totally gotten worse and, and really went back to where it was kind of before the 20-year period.
1: Yeah, so I think the main part, what they did, is just, like, completely removing women from the social, um, I guess, social sphere of Afghanistan. Because women did have beforehand, like, ability to go out. They were able to um, go out and, like, work in, like, hospital institutions, like, work or, like, be teachers, um, go to school, and, but then after the Taliban has came, like, all of that has been completely removed. They have they have to wear, cover their heads. Um, they have to, like, they have, like, no opportunity to, because before then, education was such a huge um, empowerment for women, but now they don't have that. So they have very limited opportunities on what they can do next. And um, previously, like you said, like, it's gone back to what they were before in the 90s. And a lot of people think, oh, maybe there's actually a study done. Like, a lot of people think, oh, maybe there's other reasons why women don't have much um, influence in the social sphere. But there's a study done, like 90% of Afghan women and men think women should have the ability to go to school. So it's like a lot of the time the Taliban restrictions is what's is what's holding them back the most, not like cultural. It's like the Taliban restriction. And like there's another study done that showed that women who lived in areas... That was Taliban controlled in the 90s had much decreased services to education and health and healthcare care um, services like hospitals so I think that same thing's gonna happen now like it's only been one year but you can already see like um if you go on the streets women are rarely in the streets and especially Hazara people like the attacks has ramped up against them so much um, mm-hmm. recently
0: mm-hmm. yeah so um talk a lot about uh the maternal and child health care and um, one thing that you said just in the United States a little bit earlier is that the maternal mortality rates have gone up in recent years yes. um do you have any idea about why that is or you know why that that might be because that's a, another interesting number you know why would the matur- mortality rates rise
1: yeah i was actually very surprised when i read that I think in 2017 it raised around 18%, 18.4%, 18.1%. And I think that was really surprising. But I think the main or one of the contributing reasons to why it's going to happen is the, first of all, the health um, inequities and disparities that exist, and also like the cost of healthcare. Um, so I read an article earlier that said that a lot of women are hesitant to go to the doctors for their like visits like while they're pregnant, because those are really important, like in tracking the baby's health and also the mother's health and it like could help prevent stuff or issues during childbirth and also um, after childbirth but a lot of women are hesitant to go now because they're worried they won't be able to pay or like afford the health care which is a very difficult situation to be in because like then they're stuck in the situation like oh should I go pay for health care or do I save money for when my child is actually born so they're in a difficult situation because of financially Mm -hmm. And also in terms of healthcare inequities, like a lot of like certain underrepresented populations and like and in rural areas, um, access to healthcare is very difficult. And I think um, because of that, that's um, a lot of the reason why it's, it's increased heavily in the past few years.
0: So you're doing a lot of in-depth research on these countries and these issues uh, for this project. And just, I think for yourself, you know, this is something that you're passionate about and you really care about and it's important. Um, what do you have to really submit or, or do for this project that you're working on? And where do you see your research maybe going in the future beyond just senior year at Bryn Mawr?
1: Yeah. So for my Edith Hamilton final project, what I am planning to do right now is like create a workshop for young Afghan high schoolers, um, specifically like around my age, um, because uh, like. Uh, You mentioned, like, schools have been, like, very limited there. A lot have been closed down. And there's just one specific school with a lot of Hazara girls. Their school has been shut down recently. So I want to, like, offer, like, an online uh, Zoom workshop that kind of goes around, like, reproductive health. That's what I'm thinking about right now. It could change. But, like, reproductive health and also just, like, how germs kind of spread and how to prevent them. Because I think that, especially for girls interested in the medical field, and the fact that their education has been limited recently, I think it'll be interesting for them to know. Also, like, something important. And hopefully I chose this specific, like, workshop because hopefully in the future when I go to college, I can continue and keep building on the workshop and keep offering it. Because mm-hmm. um, I think that'd be really nice.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I find your research and your work so impressive. And, and really your Thank mom's you. work and her documentaries like, so brave and... Uh, impressive that you guys are doing this and, and talking about these really important issues. Um, and I, I just think the Edith Hamilton project is a really awesome thing that Bryn Mawr does. I know a couple other girls that I teach from there are, are working on that. Uh, is it pretty um, popular? Do a lot of girls work on this project?
1: Yeah, so you have to apply for it during your junior year. And then, like, there's, like, a board that kind of, like, goes through applications and then chooses the ones that are accepted to, like, actually be researched the next year. And I think given from what, like, I've talked to my friends last year, I think a lot of people have applied for it. But um, right now I think there's about six people who are doing it this year. And I think the the number ranges. Each year there's no fixed number. But, like, the wide variety of projects and, like, the diversity of the topics is really interesting Mm because it could go from, like, health and then one of my friends is doing – and there's an art while another one's doing one on ethics, which is like all like completely different like like worlds But they're all like really interesting.
0: Does it take place uh, in in place of a class? Or is this something that you just totally do independently on your own outside of your five classes or whatever it is that you take?
1: Yeah, this is something you do on your own like on your outside time But we do meet like well in the fall we met every other week on Mondays in the afternoon and then now since the speech is coming up. We meet every week, um, in the f- every Monday, um, in the afternoon.
0: Wow, cool. And um, I know that everyone at Bryn Mawr has to give a speech in general, a senior speech. Have you done yours yet? Or you think about what you might want to talk about?
1: Yeah. So all the edits when you apply and when you're accepted, you have to give your senior speech on your presentation. Got so it, it kind of like okay. culminates the research and you present it to the school. And it's in May. All of us do it in May.
0: Gotcha. Okay. I uh, did a podcast with Francesca. And I oh, think yeah, she's yeah. Doing, She does one too. She's doing one as well. Um Cool. Well, you're doing a lot of really good work, and I know you do a lot of other things outside of this research and your schoolwork. You play the violin, right? Yes. Still playing violin. Yes, I do. What's that like?
1: It's been fun. I started in fifth grade, and I just like kind of kept doing it. And I, re- especially at Bryn Mawr, the past four years, the music program has become really good because Dr. Levitov, he's our teacher. He kind of we do combine. Uh, concert with Gilman actually, the Gilman String Hounds as well and um, it's been really fun just like practicing and like doing the concerts together.
0: I think if I was gonna play an instrument I never learned how to play an instrument but there's still time I think violin yeah. is what I would I would choose. Yeah
1: I would recommend it for sure.
0: And you're a swimmer as well?
1: I swim in ninth grade, not anymore ninth though. Grade. Yeah.
0: Okay cool well um, I know you also brought in two book recommendations today, did, yes. two, two things that you've read in the past that have made an impact on you. What Would you choose?
1: Um, first, I brought the Kite Runner, and then the second one I brought I Am Malala.
0: Why did you select these two books? I've read, I've read both of them. Awesome selections. Mm-hmm. Um, Kite Runner, I've read a while ago. I forget really what it's all about, but I re- remember finishing that book and being like, wow, that is a powerful story.
1: Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why I brought the Kite Runner. It's such a powerful story, and I think. Like you mentioned earlier, not a lot of people know about the situa- situation in Afghanistan. Like it's very easy for us living in America to kind of watch the news and like kind of see what's going on in terms of the U.S. withdrawal and what like or like just in general like the war. And the, but like it's very hard for us to see truly the impact it has on people. Like not like in their lives, how it like completely throws their life off course. Like mentally, what impact it has on them, and how it like leaves them with that for like years to come, like in in the Kite Runner, the main character, um, Amir kind of struggles with like leaving Afghanistan, what happened in Afghanistan um, throughout his entire adult life and like spends a lot of his time kind of like processing that and kind of learning how to live with it. So I think that's one of the reasons why I think it's a good read because even though, this is one of my projects I did for my other English class this year, like even though we don't see it and it doesn't really happen to us, I think it's important for us to kind of like not turn our face away from it, kind of look directly at it and kind of like address it. And like I just like recognize what other people in like Afghanistan are going through and just kind of just like being educated about it.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I know. I know sometimes it's um, it's just a fact that something happens far away, you know, like in Afghanistan or India or, you know, in the Middle East. China, whatever, they're countries that are far away, but still have such a global impact, the events that occur overseas, you know, on, on America and uh, just on humans in general, you know, it's it's something that we need to think about and be educated. That's another reason I think I wanted you to come in today is to talk about these issues that you really care about that, you know, it's it's important, and it's important that you, you know, have, have shared a lot about um, the things that you're studying and researching.
1: Yeah, for sure. I definitely agree. Because I didn't, for me, I like kind of go into this research because of my background and like I knew, I see in my family how like living in Afghanistan, like being refugees kind of affects them. But like even when I tell my friends about it or just like anybody, like in the past, they're just always like shocked and surprised or like they, they never really knew about it. So I think it'll be really interesting. Because especially because I go to Bryn Mawr, it's, it's like a, um, majority all-girls schools so I think it's really important like women's education the topic of like spreading around my community.
0: Now have you enjoyed the all-girls aspect to Bryn Mawr and going to an all-girls school?
1: I actually really have because I went to a co-ed public school before Bryn Mawr um, but it was definitely adjustment in the beginning in ninth grade but I really enjoyed it because I feel like the discussions we have in English are much more like close-knit community discussions that we normally wouldn't have in like a larger co-eds I mean, I guess, English class, I guess. But also just, like, it's been, like, so fun. Like, the girls have been, like, the com- connections that I have have been, I've gone over the years have been great. So I've really enjoyed it.
0: Bryn Mawr's, I mean, it's an awesome place, and I really enjoy teaching Bryn Mawr students because, you know, it feels like the culture at Bryn Mawr is very much, like, academically focused and like i i've I've said this before on the podcast i've never really had a Bryn Mawr student that was like out of line or not turning in work it's always been like impressive to me as Mm -hmm. a teacher and it's maybe something about the culture at the school it seems you know very intense but also kind of in a good way empowering for students there
1: yeah no i definitely agree like one of my favorite things at Bryn Mawr is the community the motivated student community because like that's what I was looking for when I wanted to come to school here, and that's definitely what I found. And I'm really impressed by, like, all, like, my classmates because all of them or like, most of them have, like, a passion. They have a topic or a class they're really, really passionate about, and they spend a lot of time in it. And I think that's why, like, we all have, like, very high standards for self. Like, we all know that, I like you said, education is empowering, and, like, we kind of, like, use that to kind of, as we, like, go down the road. So I think that's why, like, all of us have a really strong work work ethic because, like, a lot of people really do understand the importance of education. They really love learning. Like, they just don't they don't just go to school, but they really love going to school. They love the classes they take. They love the extracurriculars they're part of. And I like really like how the environment's motivated in that way.
0: Now you said at the beginning of the episode that you have really tried out a lot of different things during your time at Bryn Mawr, we talked about you know violin and um, Model Congress and some of the other things you're doing there, but What else have you really tried out maybe this year or recently that has been good or beneficial for you?
1: Yeah, so I think what I enjoyed most this year was doing bridges because I've done bridges since last year, but this year I had more time in it because I did it in the summer, but also in the winter. And I just really enjoyed because, like, yes, I've, like, tutored kids before, but, like, not in a, like, not in such a way, like, I spent all day with them during the Richardson's summer. So I think it was such a good experience just to do that, and also, like, a good learning opportunity, because I did it here in Gilman, Miss Royals was, like, great in, like, teaching us about, like, the Baltimore City um, education, and, like, kind of, like, the um, disparities that exist between, like, the Baltimore City education system and then also just like what we have here in Roland Park, Baltimore City.
0: Mm -hmm. Now is Bridges every day in the summer or when does this take place and what is like a typical day at the Bridges um, club like? Like what would you do and take part of in a typical day?
1: Yeah so the summer was a little different because you do spend like the whole day with them from like I think nine to four is when you spend the day with them and that's just more of like a class, like a regular school day schedule, so they go to classes, they go to English, they go to math, they have outdoor time, and they go to activities in the afternoon, like music, swimming, I think gym as well. And then we also go on field trips. Like they go, I think when I was there, um, volunteers can choose to do it for one week or two weeks. And I w- when I was there, we went on a field trip to I think the bay, and they also went swimming in the bay. But in the summer, it's more like educational enrichment after school, And in, w- in the winter and during school hours or mm-hmm. year. We do like uh, after school enrichment for an hour and a half. They do just like their homework. We like have play time and also just like Miss Royal sets up really cool activities for them to do. Like one time, she took the kids to do robotics with the Gilman Middle School, and they loved it. They loved like they had like robots and they get to like code them to kind of like move around the room, and the kids loved it.
0: That's it's awesome. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Um, so I'm always hesitant to kind of ask seniors about like the future and college and whatnot, because I don't know, when I was in high school, it was like people asked me about what I want to do when I'm older. Like, I don't know. I'm just trying to get through the next week. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you were, you know, if you're older in your life and maybe kind of have a career and you look back at this podcast interview that you did as a senior at Brim what do you hope to be doing? What do you want to really maybe do in the future? I don't know. Is that a tough question? Or or I, I feel like you're so focused on what you're doing and you have yeah. passions and things that you kind of are looking forward to. Uh, is there anything that you really want to accomplish or, you know, do in the in the future, whether it's in college or beyond?
1: Yeah. So I think you're kind of right. Like I have like a, like a focus or like direction I kind of want to go in because like this is something I'm really passionate about. And I've always wanted to like be a doctor. So I think my plans right now are to go to medical school and become a doctor. But like, other than just being a doctor in the U.S., I really want to like take it to like another country, like a developing country, and kind of like do work there. Um, for example, I think in the future I really hope to go back to Afghanistan or w- go to Afghanistan um, if the security situation improves and kind of like build a school there, or build a hospital, um, especially in the regions where there's like a lot of Hazara women. Um, Just like provide something like they not they haven't really had access to in the past, and I think yeah, because I like read an article about a doctor in the U. S. He goes back during um to the Middle East, I think it was Syria during his um vacation day, and he performs um pro bono um open heart surgeries for little kids who's like who has like heart problems and they don't have like access to get surgery just there. So I think that's like he's like someone like I look up to. Like hopefully I can be someone who can like go to other countries and kind of provide, like, like a medical service as well.
0: That's awesome. And you might want to do heart surgery, maybe.
1: Yes, cardiothoracic surgery, hopefully.
0: Where does that interest come from? Why why that specific uh, study?
1: Yeah, so I, my, well, it kind of has to do with, like, my family thing because, like, I take my grandparents to the doctors too because um, they don't know English. So, like, I grew up, like, translating for them with the doctors. So I think my, like, my grandpa has, like, like, uh, uh, with blood clotting problems, and I think, because what I, what I do is, like, when I, like, learn something, I, like, go into deep holes in the internet, just, like, searching it up, so I think because of, like, the visit, the trips I took them to the doctors, I've kind of just, like, found that something I'm interested in, and, like, recently I've been interested in, like, neonatal surgery because of the, uh, my interest in maternal and child health.
0: Love it. Wow. I mean, you're super impressive. Thank you so much, Arzu, for um, coming in for the podcast and talking a little bit about the things that you're passionate about and that you're doing. I really appreciate it. I know that I'm your teacher and I teach you uh, about great short stories and short fiction and the class is awesome. I mean, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, But you're doing, you know, things that are really beyond and uh, I'm very impressed by it. So I appreciate you coming in. Best of luck the rest of your senior year. And thanks again.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here.
0: Of course.